2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 is what we are studying. Uh, we have been two weeks removed from the text, uh, and I, I do want to bring emphasis back to this text. And uh, so I probably won't cover a point. I want to refresh your memory and maybe help you with a few things. Uh, we will read the word of the Lord and ask him to teach us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5 through 11. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. But if anyone has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you, sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken Of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Father, help us to hear and be overwhelmed. Father, as I I read through this and and, in this day and this age, even in the church, uh, how this theme, for whatever reason, this teaching, this understanding, this overwhelming promise has been dropped and forgotten. Uh, Lord, I pray. I beg you that um, those who are wrestling with this this day would find peace in the truth of your word and would bow before it as humble servants, bond servants, slaves of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that we would embrace it and rejoice at the freedom that is there. And we praise you and we thank you in so many ways. In Christ's name, amen. I kind of just want to get us back up to speed with Palm Sunday and uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, We've kind of been out of uh, of 2 Corinthians, and and I want to bring it up. We have dealt with verse 5 and verse 6, and and, uh, you will see how those will set us up for verse 7. But I, I think at times when we look at this, I've entitled it, Forgiveness, It's Blessings. And um, I, I think there are, are, are times in our lives that as we move through uh, our lives, our, our walks, there are people who, um, uh, you know, we would say it, they hurt us um, or we may even say that they have sinned against us, uh, that they have caused affliction to us. They have caused pain and anguish and heartache in us. And, um, and, and there's times that I've watched in my ministry uh, that um, the different ways uh, that individuals deal with it or don't. Okay? And what we're looking at here is the Apostle Paul was assaulted. However you want to cut it. Um, our best conclusions is he had gone back between first and second Corinthians, the writing of those two letters, and literally a man in the fellowship 
had gone up and face to face in public in the congregation of the church and accused and assaulted his integrity and his character. And um, the Apostle Paul's response was upon leaving. I know what his response would have been is the church must confront this man. Okay, here's we got to think about this for a second. When the Apostle Paul was planting churches, it was through the use of miracles that he validated that he was of God. Okay, and yet accusation after accusation after accusation had come against the Apostle Paul. All right, now, when you accuse the Apostle Paul at that early stage of the church, do you understand what you're attacking? The spokesman of God. When he speaks, it is God's word. Now, see, when I speak, it is God's word, and you can prove it by looking at Scripture. They didn't have Scripture. He wasn't done writing it yet. All right? I mean, God had to put him in jail so he'd do some writing. Funny how that works. Okay, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? So when you attack the person of Paul, um, you are attacking God's spokesman who is validating God's truth. All right, now, if I don't have a possession, in my possession, God's truth written out that I can say that doesn't line up or that does line up then do you understand how important it would be for the accuser of the brethren, our enemy, to attack the integrity of the messenger of God if there is no scripture to validate what he's saying is true? All right, so um, when, when I look at this, you know, I have been attacked multiple times. I, don't even, I couldn't even begin to count them. But you know what is amazing? Every time I've been attacked, all you have to do is hold it up to the light of truth. How does it stack up to truth? That, that's the only thing I ask. I mean, you can you can say I don't like I don't like the fact you know I've had people who got mad at me because well you got a beard, Ooh, bummer. Um, if you've seen how I was with sharp things, you probably thank God that I don't shave. Okay, but but when when I I've had people you know you know you had a T-shirt on when you were in a Bible study. Okay, you know I'm trying to get rid of my belly, but anyway um, <laughs> I'm working on it. But but you see what I'm trying to get at? But when you look at what I have said, what does it look like? It is truth. Now, if I start telling you who's going to win the Super Bowl, don't believe it. Okay, because I don't know any more than anybody else knows. All right, so when I look at this, the Apostle Paul in verses 5 through 11 is dealing with the topic of forgiveness. Okay, that's the issue right now. What you find out is, is that he left Corinth, went back to Ephesus, and he sent Titus with a letter. It's called the severe letter. Okay, now we don't have that one. All right? And the church's response was very positive, and Titus has returned back to Paul and told him that the response was um, a, a repentant response to follow what the teachings of God given through the Apostle Paul had been given. And he was encouraged. And what had happened is they had confronted this guy. And the guy had come to repentance. And he says, that's good enough. But what you find is, is that when you're dealing with humans, 
Okay? We have a tendency to, shall we call it, hold a grudge. All right? And what it is is that my poor precious ego was wounded and you're going to pay the price. Okay? And usually you've heard the statement, you know, I want my pound of flesh. Normally we want about five pounds. Let's be realistic. You know, maybe it was due a pound of flesh, but you like interest. Okay? Because of the anguish of the offense against me. And what you find here in verse 5 is that forgiveness, one of its blessings is it deflects your pride, my pride. Okay? Apostle Paul there says, if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree. Okay, what he's saying is, yes, this was a heartbreaking event. But it's over. In order not to say too much to all of you. Why? I don't need to beat this horse. I don't need to tout this. I don't need to. Let's put it on the prayer chain. That's what the Apostle Paul says. The guy repented. It's over. It's done. Oh, okay. Because then in the next one, in verse 6, it is to show mercy. Verse 6. Sufficient is such a one, is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority. So the church looked at the, this situation and this action of this man, and they said, the majority says, yes, you must be repentant or outside of the fellowship. The man repented. All right. And it was a majority of the church has stepped into it. All right. And here it is. We had an issue. We dealt with it. We confronted it. And now we have the results of it. Okay. Now, two weeks ago, um, I shared with you a verse on this showing of mercy and the deflection of pride. And I want to take you over to that. I want to springboard off of that and move to where I'm going today. Okay. Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty two. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Here's what the Apostle Paul... Now remember, he's writing 2 Corinthians from where? Ephesus. Okay, so now here's a letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just... As God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's pretty serious there if you think about it. Okay. He says, I want your actions. When it comes to being tenderhearted. When it comes to being kind to one another. And when it comes to. Forgiving each other. I want them to mirror Christ. Okay. Now then, when we think about forgiveness. Okay. Most of us, I pray, many of us in this room have had a a moment of salvation. And all of a sudden, the forgiveness of God has just run over us like a Greyhound bus. Okay. And we just sit there in awe of it. And some of us are a few years out from coming to the point of salvation. And I have seen uh, God's forgiveness in so many ways that I couldn't even begin um, to count them. All right. 
And, and when we all have uh, a mind that says forgiveness, uh, if, you're, if you've got kids, uh, you've heard those words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, and you look at him and say, yeah, I know, you're sorry. <laughs> okay, but, but we've heard them, um, or they've been punished at some point, and then all of a sudden they come and they want forgiveness, right? We've, we've all experienced that. We've all had different issues in our lives where we have come to another individual for forgiveness. Or maybe you should. <laughs> Sorry. But I want you to think about forgiveness in a different way. Okay? And, and I, I, I've had to think about this for a while, but I, I want you to think about this for a second. When you think about forgiveness, it's normally either someone has come to you and wanted forgiveness or you had to go to someone and, and ask for forgiveness. All right? And, and we have the whole dynamics of what it is, but I want you to think about it from a completely different perspective this day. Okay? I want you to think about forgiveness this way. Forgiveness is a promise. Okay? Forgiveness is a promise. Now, remember what I just read to you. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Okay? It's a promise. See, when I think about forgiveness, now I'm going to step at it from the heavenly view and look at it to the humanly purpose. Okay? Forgiveness is a promise from God to the repentant sinner. Okay? To one who comes to him with, with a broken, I, I think they call it a contrite heart. That person who comes affirming their desperate need of forgiveness from God. When that person who comes affirming their sinfulness. Remember what it says in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Okay, to confess our sins says, yep, that's a sin. Okay, because I know you guys never fall into it, but I have fallen into it before where I try to rationalize my sin. Okay, it's, you know, and, and I know you guys never have done that, um, but this is the frailty of who I am is that there's times that I will try to rationalize whatever boneheaded thing I did. Okay. Okay. Now, when I say that it is a promise from God, do you realize what I'm saying? I mean, do you really know what I'm saying? Okay. That sin will never be remembered. God says, I promise. Did you hear me? God said that sin will never be remembered. Their sin will be buried in the depths of the deepest sea. Their sin will be removed as far as the east is from the west. I promise. Their sin will never again be brought up in the mind of God or the Godhead. I promise. It is a promise that no charge will ever successfully be laid against that sinner. 
I promise. No accusation will stand ever. That's a promise. Do you think about that? That's God saying, I promise. I would call that astounding. I'd call that absolutely astounding. And it's and, and now think about it. Here's the promise of God. We're just saying amazing grace. Right? And we sing it. Da 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 amazing grace, how sweet this. Okay. To the promise that the sin has been so removed from God it is as far as the east is from the west. Okay, because this is given, this promise is given purely and simply out of the heart of a loving, gracious God to a repentant sinner. Okay, now do you understand why I said forgiveness, it's blessing? See, now you sit there and you got, you got to go, whoa! Well, I don't guess you have to, I'm going to. That's whoa. But now let me give you the oh. That is how we are to forgive. As a promise. As a promise, we are to make a promise that if someone comes and asks to be forgiven, we make a promise that their sin will never be remembered. It'll never be brought out into the open. It's a promise. When someone sins against me and comes and asks for forgiveness, it is as if it has been buried in the depths of the deepest sea. It will be removed as far as the east is from the west. Never held against them. No charge can ever be successfully laid in our presence. We will never re-identify that sin. And we will never condemn them of that sin. And that's promise. That's why forgiveness is the noblest thing that one sinner can do for another sinner. That is to cover their sin. Hide it permanently. It's hidden. Never to be remembered. Here's the one that always gets us into trouble, especially between husband and wives. Never bring it up again. Oh, wait a minute. What if they do it again? Thought you'd never ask. If they repeat the sin, what do you do? If they come and ask for forgiveness, what do you do? You make a promise never to bring it up and it will be as far as the east is from the west. Well, I just don't think they mean it. I think your ego just woke up. 
Because it says here, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And I've shown you God's promise of forgiveness. Not even in one's mind. Never bring it up to the sinner. Never bring it up to anyone else ever, ever again. It is a promise to forget. It is a promise to bury. It is a promise to remove away. And from all the thoughts, all the words, all the wrong that has been done against you, it's been removed. It's been removed. And someone will sit out there and say, well, how is that humanly possible? It's very simple. Has the love of God been poured into your heart and the person of Christ Jesus? Now, if you're not saved, I don't think it's possible. The very definition is to start where? That kind of forgiveness has to start where? In the heart. Has to start in the heart. It can't be something external. You've seen it. All right, I forgive you. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because if you forgive him, then you would be like the father of the prodigal son. Let's have a party. Because you have repented. You have changed your direction. It has to be of the attitude. You've heard of phrase, well, that person always gives me a bad attitude. No, your heart gives you a bad attitude. There ain't an individual on the planet can change your attitude. But your heart can. And it can change it just like that. So forgiving and forgiveness is an attitude of the heart. And it holds, when it gets into that place, it holds no personal pride. It holds no self-pity. It holds no wounded ego. There's no thought of bitterness. There's no desire for vengeance. It is a heart attitude of overwhelming God's love. Loving. See, that loving, that longing eagerness to see that sinner restored. It's an attitude that says, hey, I want you to think about this because I, I just, this, it, I think is key. It's an attitude that says, I will never be the barrier to forgiveness. Do you think about that? That's key, man. I will never be the barrier to forgiveness. My wounded pride is never going to be the obstacle in the way of this forgiveness. Forgiveness starts in the heart. And the heart holds that love, right? Okay. Then that means that heart holds that forgiveness. That heart wants to give it when the sinner comes to repentance. And until the sin is confessed, until the sin is repented of, the fullness of that forgiveness is never given. The reconciliation and the restoration does not take place. Does not take place. So forgiving starts in the heart. The heart holds it. The heart 
holds that love. The heart holds that forgiveness. And it wants to give it when the sinner comes to repentance. It's eager. It desires it. And until the sin is confessed, until the sin is repented of, the fullness of that forgiveness is never going to be there. It doesn't take place. So, do you see this? Okay, because I'm going to give you a biblical precedence. I mean, I just didn't come up with this. And say, oh, let's put this up. Okay, it starts in the heart. Okay, the heart holds it. And, but the heart has this overwhelming desire to give it. Shall I illustrate? Okay, thought you'd never ask. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 23. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Now, remember what I said. The heart has the love and the forgiveness. That's where your quote-unquote attitudes come from. Okay? Luke chapter 23, verse 34. You've read this a time or two, I bet. But Jesus was saying, he's hanging between... Let's start in verse 33 so you know what we're dealing with. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his, the other on his left. And Jesus was saying, okay, now read that phrase right there, because if you look at this, this is saying means what? Multiple times, okay? So it is not wrong to look at this as a prayer. Okay, look what he says. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Okay, stop right there. Okay. There are a number of things that Jesus expresses to you and me here. Okay. One. God is a forgiving God at heart. Remember when we were studying 1 Timothy chapter 2? We found that God was a saving God. If he's a saving God, then that means at the core of who he is, he is a forgiving God. All right? Jesus knew that God had a heart of forgiveness. Remember the little problem with Jonah? God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell him to repent. And Jonah said, I'm going fishing. No, he didn't say it. He says, I ain't going to Nineveh. Do you know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because God was going to send them and they would be Repentant and forgiven. And uh, those were the Assyrians, and they were slaughtering Jews every day. And Jonah says, I don't want them forgiven. Okay? Because Jonah knew that God was a 
forgiving God. See, God, Jesus knew that in God's heart was that loving kindness and forgiveness and that it was the very core of his nature of who God is. Okay, that's one. Second thing, and this is probably the easiest to see here. Father, forgive them. See, he says, Father, I know you're forgiving God. Forgive them. And then he makes this statement. They do not know what they're doing. Okay, second thing that Jesus is affirming in this time of prayer is that sinners do stupid things because they're sinners. Right? I mean, let's be realistic. I know nobody in this room has done stupid things. Um, I have done enough for all of us. Okay? So he's expressing not only is God a forgiving God, but also that sinners are foolish. Okay? Thirdly, he's expressing the fact That he wanted God. Now think about this for a second. He's expressing the fact here on the cross. He's got spikes through his feet and through his wrists. He has been beaten all night long. He's been bleeding profusely. He's been slapped in the face. And he says, Father... I want you to treat the sinners who are murdering me the same way you would treat any other sinner. Grab a hold of that. You know what? He could have and very justly said, Father, not these. One th- it's, you know, it's one thing to sin against a man. You know what? It's even another thing to sin against a God I can't see. But to murder the incarnate God. That's a bit much. That's a bit much. Father, don't forgive these. This crime is way too great. This crime, this rejection is way too complete. And you know what is amazing about it? Jesus didn't say that. Praying consistently with what he knew was the nature and heart of God. Because it was his heart as well. Now think about it. You're all going to sit there and say, well, golly, that's God. Wait a minute. I could have swore that the love of God had been poured into our hearts through the Spirit. I read that somewhere. Must have been in a philosophy book. I read where the Holy Spirit will strengthen the inner man so that Christ will be at home inside of me and God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could think or imagine. Listen, this is Jesus' heart. Look, where's the personal vengeance here? And yet, has anybody on the planet Earth ever deserved more vengeance than he did? Where's the personal bitterness? You know what is amazing to me in this text? There is the absolute absence of any hate. There's the absolute absence of animosity. 
Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, had none. And what he's saying to the Father is make available to the people who murdered me the same forgiveness that you make available to any sinner. Same forgiveness you would give any sinner. Give to these who are murdering me. Give these. I hold, I, God incarnate, hold no ill will against my killers. But, Jesus knew the Father would hold that forgiveness in his heart against Christ's crucifiers and they would never experience God's forgiveness unless they came in repentance and faith to the one whom they crucified. Boy, is that humbling. How does God treat the repentant sinner? How does God treat the repentant sinner? It is total. It is complete. It is instantaneous forgiveness. Did you know that? Even to those who murdered Jesus Christ. Look at verse 47 of Luke 23. Now when the centurion, okay, you know who a centurion is, right? He is an officer of a hundred. This would have been the commander of the execution team. Okay? Okay. The commander of the execution team. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Well, he was praising God and he says that Jesus was innocent. Okay, did that make him saved? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. You have to go to the other gospel, chapter 27, Matthew, verse 54. 27 of Matthew, verse 54. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became so became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, brothers and sisters, that tells me he was saved, even as he had just murdered Messiah. 
So Jesus on cross praying when it says saying it was a repetitive motion. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And that centurion and a few others saw what happened and what they had done. And they concluded that this man is innocent. And truly, this man is the son of God. Jesus' prayer was almost instantaneously, completely answered in the forgiveness of the head of the execution team who had murdered him. The military commander who was in charge of crucifixion, the crucifixion of Christ, came to salvation as he murdered the incarnate God. Now then, that's how we are to treat sinners. Fascinating. A God in Christ has forgiven us. And that is how we are to forgive. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. See, God holds the forgiveness. He holds that love in his heart, awaiting for the repentant sinner who comes and says, forgive me, I have sinned against you. Did you ever thought about that? You go through the 50s, uh, 50 series Psalms. I think it's Psalm 51, where David cries out against you, Lord. I have sinned. Do you know what he's doing there? He's wanting forgiveness. He had just murdered Uriah to cover up adultery with Bathsheba. And he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Nathan come in and said, hey, God told me to tell you, stop it. And he repented and he asked God for what? For murder and adultery. Forgive me. Against you I have sinned. He confessed his sin and changed his direction. God holds forgiveness. He holds love in his heart. And he just eagerly wants the repentant sinner to come and seek that forgiveness. So in our hearts... God's love should keep us humble in such a way there's no ego, there's no vengeance, there's no bitterness, no matter what anyone does to us. We hold to a loving, eager, anxious longing to forgive. And when the sinner comes to seek that forgiveness, no greater time will you be more godlike or Christ-like than take the promise to forgive. As far as the east is from the west, as I can bury it in the deepest sea, I will. Remember it no more. See, that's this text. 
2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. The Apostle Paul said, hey, forgive. How? Christ did. Okay, now remember, I want you to think about this. I'm closing this now. Okay, this book is based on what? Ministry. You want to get into ministry, you need to read 2 Corinthians. And what starts out in the beginning? Forgiveness. Against a person who has offended you. And I believe in the body of Christ today, the greatest single hindrance to effective, passionate, productive ministry is the lack of forgiveness. What do you think? Could I be on to something? Because I know that no one in this room is holding on to anything like that. That is how ministry is done. How many can't effectively minister because they have a lack of forgiveness? How many in ministry are ineffective because they lack forgiveness? And yet we've already read it. Forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. And don't tell me, well, it's just Jesus. Okay, then you're not dwelling with the Holy Spirit. You ought to get that fixed. Okay. Paul did it. Stephen did it. Peter did it. Should I go on? It was common. It was common. Please, Father, let us forgive as you have forgiven us in Christ Jesus. Father, we just praise you for these words of the Apostle Paul. Father, may we who long to serve you now have a longing to forgive. Father, help us. Overwhelm us with your presence. Even as Christ on the cross said, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. We understand that sin makes us ignorant. Father, I'd ask that you forgive us as we hold transgressions against those who have sinned against us, and yet you hold none against us. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for his resurrection. And thank you that you have given us his spirit to seal us, to empower us, to comfort us, and to counsel us. Lord, may we walk as Christ walked. May we be known. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in our actions and our attitudes to your glory and to your praise in Christ's name. Amen.